Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James, this is Pete. G'day everyone. It is the 7th of May and this is episode 108. Fun show for you guys coming up. We are going to be talking to Kirstie O'Sullivan from the Liberal Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking about what their policies are and uh, a few other things about the election that's coming up. That's going to be a really fun chat. And we're also going to be talking to one of the very best friends of the show, Dr. Bella DeBerra, director of the IPA's Foundations of Western Civilization program. She had an article in the Daily Telegraph last week talking about the Ramsey Foundation and what the latest is with that. So we're going to be talking about that with her and a few other things. If we know Bella at all, and I think by this point we do, Mm -hmm. that is an opinionated woman and she is going to be running through a few of the things that have caught her eye in the last week. So That's that's also going to be... A really fun chat. Um, yeah, so shall we get into it? Let's get into it, James. Yeah, let's, let's, that would be the right thing to do, would be to get into it. Um, yep. All right, so I guess the big story last week, or the last you know, couple of days, at least in the election, is uh, the true cost of Labor's climate policy has come out. So this is something that we featured in Hay last week, and I think we've talked about it on the show. Bill Shorten's big new, this is going to save the planet, how good am I? Let's do green technology. That was the media release. That was the media release. It's the official name of the report, which I found a bit questionable, but uh, credit to him, he did put it out under that name. Uh, Anyway, so it's basically the 45% reduction of emissions on 2005 levels by 2030. That would be what he's going for. And then the media said, how much is that going to cost? And he said, shh. And then that was it. Impossible um, to know. Impossible to know. How could, how could we put a figure on the planet? Uh, but people did because Dr. Brian Fisher yesterday... Oh, sorry. Dr. Brian Fisher from Bay Economics. Well, BA Economics. I think it's Bay Economics. BA I, Economics. I was Bay liking Economics. the fact it was called Bay, Bay Economics. Yeah, just yeah, They're millennials. Yeah. <laughs> they're millennials. Uh, and they just love economics before anything else. Uh, so Bay Economics found out that it would be a minimum of $264 billion in foregone GD, GNP by 2030. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question to you, Pete, is, is that good? I don't think it's good. Right. Um, I'd be happier with the $264 billion. I, Yeah, I think we'd all be better off yeah. if they just uh, divided that by the 25 million Australians and gave us cash. Yes. I love the surplus. Anyway. Um, oh, that would be a very Kirsten Gellibrand thing to do, which we'll talk about later in the show. We will. Um, as you would have, I'm sure, about to note anyway, the coalition uh, plan was going to cost $89 billion, yep. which is just withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement. Again, I'd be happier with the $89 billion. Once again, yep. That yep. would also be good. The IPA's policy, as we mentioned in Hey, What Did I Miss, didn't require costing from Bay Economics because we would do nothing. Yes. Which costs? Zero. That's right. There's well, we wouldn't op- do nothing. I mean, um, we'd withdraw from Paris, which is a pretty big deal, but mm-hmm. the idea is, and I keep coming back to this, it's not like this anti-environment who needs to save the planet kind of thing. It is just... Oh, we love the environment. I personally trust the private sector to come up with a lot of these things. Like, we are going to have market-efficient electric cars, which is one of the platforms of Bill Shorten's policy. Uh, I'd much more be comfortable if, like, Mitsubishi or Ford came up with a car than Bill Shorten. That's right. <laughs> just one of them. One of them's better at it than the other. That's if true. If history is any indicator. That's good. Uh, so that would be my thing, which is why... I'd be happy with the $264 billion. And, of course, nuclear power as well. Yes. So, we know, we'll talk with that Kirsty O'Sullivan later, but yeah. uh, nuclear power, of course, would, you know, a lot of emis- less emissions. A and nuclear power reactor in every backpack. That's which right. Is Pete's policy. Are you going to bring ambitious. that up with Kirsty? Uh, look, I might. I don't want to steal her thunder, but, um, look, maybe it's something she can take back to the LDP. Yeah, and that will just, like, I like the legalising nuclear power but let's put it in backpacks. Yeah, let's get serious about it. All right. Anyway, look, as Gideon Rosner tweeted, he said it's so funny watching environmentalists complain about dodgy modelling Yeah. because there was a lot of you know complaints like, oh, I think your model's incorrect, mate. And yes. It's like, maybe it is because most models are incorrect. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's a bit uh, ironic to see that coming from those people. Also, Ross Giddens had an interesting piece in The Age about this and he said it was kind of odd that Bill Shorten told the truth. Yeah. And said, like, I don't know how much this is going to cost. It's like, none of them know how much anything's going to cost. No. So it was weird for on that particular thing. He was like, yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, and he kind of left a vacuum there for people to go, well, we'll uh, model it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that um, doesn't let you control the message. That's right. Yeah, it was, it was odd. It was, the whole thing was odd. But anyway, um, 
but he did save the planet. We'll see. Uh, the other thing I saw, so uh, Brian Fisher is the head of Bay Economics. Uh, I'm just going to call it that from now on. I That's don't care what its actual name is. Uh, so, and then uh, Simon Holmes at court, a uh, bit of a Twitter troll, especially with the IPA. Apparently, he's a pretty big deal in the energy sector. All I know is that when I see, like, because I run the IPA's Twitter account, when I see a notification from Simon Holmes at court, I go to another tab. Uh, but all he, so he saw Dr. Brian Fisher's uh, report, then tweeted out his home address and, you know, thought maybe. Like, you know, he tweeted out the media should send cameras down there, but instead activists just sent eggs down there. That's so right. His home got egged. On you, Simon. <laughs> great, yep. great, uh, great use of the public platform to influence debate. Yeah. So that was another another yep. very 2019 thing. Yes. Uh, if if you can't make a point with an egg, why even why even make a point? Dairy's in. Yep. Uh, so let us talk something else, Pete. Okay. What have you? What's caught your eye? Well, something that caught my eye was a Greens. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Sunday Footy Show recently, so a lot of things are caught, catching my eye. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, lots of things catch my eye, but in yeah. terms of in terms of politics, um, Greens. But <laughs> the Greens have announced a plan which I think that I agree with, oh. and that is, I think I agree with it, and I think it should be expanded, and that yeah. is. Uh, we're going to ban Andrew Bolt. Mm. And I think, don't stop there, Richard Di Natale. Yep. Let's ban all the Bolts. Yep. And uh, let's do this properly. No, just kidding, of course. This week it emerged uh, the Greens leader. <laughs> the world would be better off. <laughs> like, leave Andrew Bolt alone if you must, but the world might be better off if I just shut the hell up. <laughs> That's, of course, not true. James is fine. Um, so, uh, <laughs> fine. He's, he's <laughs> fine. Okay. He's fine. Uh, so Greens Small leader. Doses. Yeah, well, I mean, ain't that the truth? No, Greens leader. No, nah, just kidding again. Uh, Greens leader Richard Di Natale told supporters in Brunswick last March that it sort of emerged this, this week. This March, this March. Yeah. Last, last March could mean 2017. This nah. is the age old debate. 2018, I mean. Last March means. Last March means two months ago. No. But. Um, March means. I think we should cancel the rest of the podcast and argue this out. <laughs> Punch no. us on outside. Leave the camera recording. Yep. So, uh, what, what happened? So. This has emerged this week that in a meeting uh, he said that with, with Green supporters in Brunswick, my hometown, that uh, he wants to make it a crime for people like Andrew Bolt and Ellen Jones and Chris Kenny to divide people with their hate speech. Interviewed afterwards by Box 24 Media, he went even further and said we need a combination of tightening media regulation in a way that is making sure the public interest, as assigned by Richard, is protected and also making sure that there are laws protecting the community from the hate speech of people like Andrew Bolt. Quite specific. Mm. Very specific. As I said, I don't think that goes far enough. Um, I think all the Bolts should be... Uh, all the Bolts should be cancelled. No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> that was funny the first time. Yeah. So I'm going to try, that, back to try that gag a third time. <laughs> just, yeah, I hit the that Peter p- Gregory story. <laughs> Let me I, try it a third time. I hit the part in my notes where I came... Where I actually wrote yeah, it. Yeah. So anyway, no. Um, look, sort of very creepy that you would be cancelling speech in the public interest. Free speech is meant to protect minorities from people from the majority. Yes. So uh, by saying the public interest will be served, you're only stopping that from happening. Yeah. Uh, this is another one of what we've talked about on the show a few times, which is the the move of the left from like the really cool guys in the 60s to like these Victorian era mm. lords just going, how dare the communists think differently to what I say? Yeah. Like oh. it, it's literally just speech you don't like. Oh, yeah. I mean – you know, I'm biased because he's my dad, but if Andrew Bolt is your idea of, like, the hate speech that the society needs to be protected on, yeah. don't go on the internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't do it. Just delete all your computer, like, throw your computer in a bin because it, it gets much worse out there. I've heard it does. And, um, look, it's just, I was going to say, no, at least, okay, so the thing I like about this is at least he's honest. He's not, like, sort of going, you know, there's this speech out there and it's making people do bad stuff, so she would ban it. He's like, these are the three guys I don't like. Yep. We're going to cancel They make my feelings burn. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't like it when they're better than me, so therefore I'm going to get rid of them through the force of the state. That's right. Which is exactly how debates should be done. If you can't make it with an egg, then use the state to silence your opponent. Yep. (laughs) At no point should you actually rely on your own arguments. That's true. To make make any sort of incision. Anyway... Right. That's that. Uh, cool. So shall we move on to, uh, well, speaking of the internet and all the opinions that are out there, so Scott Morrison has introduced some new, well, has flagged that there might be an increase in laws for Twitter trolls. That's right. So uh, Facebook trolls will be judged for up to five years and social media giants forced to reveal the extent of customer dissatisfaction 
and a sweeping. <laughs> I'll get into it, but keep going through the facts. But okay. that, that is sort of a beautiful sentence. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It encompasses a lot. Under sweeping changes promised by the coalition, currently those caught using a carriage service such as Facebook or Twitter to harass or cause offence face a maximum of three years in jail. So he's, that's being increased. They also want to make companies behind popular online online video games such as, what is it, Fortnite? What is it, Fortnite? The young IPA podcast people. The voice of the youth. I like to go outside, James, and talk to people. <laughs> nah, it's overrated. Uh, I talk to Towers. So is it Fortnite? Yes. Okay. Uh, to keep young gamers safe by ensuring that they uh, the most restrictive privacy and safety settings are the default option, uh, social media giants will also be forced to uh, held to account with new laws, forcing them to reveal the number of complaints they receive. And in a in quote of a generation from Scott Morrison, Online trolls have no place in Australia. Mm. I quite like that. Yes. That's, it's never been said before. No, never. Um, look, I don't like online trolls, to be no. fair. But oh, it just is a problem. Like, these kind of things are just so stupid. But uh, le- le- Okay, so let's run through it. So, uh, you know, if you give the government the chance to monitor what you say online, that just gives them the chance to just see what you do online, which is creepy. And I don't, like, no one wants a government knowing everything about them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also don't like speech laws where, you know, just common, bu- like obviously harassment is different, but if it's just common bullying, you know, that's just a part of life. Yeah, well, I mean, look, as, as you've sort of alluded to, there are legitimate concerns around cyberbullying and, and abuse of people online. And it is, yeah. it, it is illegal to menace uh, um, people in the street and it's yeah. illegal to menace people, like stalk people on the phone and stuff. Yes. And it's already illegal to do the same thing on the internet. And, yeah. And so, you know, look, that, it's just a Liberal and, Party and so saying, Liberal Party is saying, how cool are we? We're going to increase speech regulations. Like the Liberal Party saying that. It's yeah. It's a little weird. Uh, I also like it, the idea, because once uh, you bring in these government filters on what can be said online, anything that doesn't pass, like anything that gets through that filter, in a way, the government's condoning that. Mm. So like if you cop like a you suck on Fortnite and that makes its way through the government filters, it's almost like the government's saying, look, as representatives of the taxpayers, we have to tell you that, yeah, you have let the team down here. <laughs> yeah. What the hell was that? Yeah, <laughs> That yeah. was a terrible effort and we have to move on. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. As well. I can't believe they said, they tried, they said in this article that 200,000 young Australians get bullied playing video games. Yeah. Is that right? I well, I think all of them play video games, and Fortnite does link up people through microphones, and then you can get shot, and they can, you know, like just run into your screen and just dance over your avatar's body. Yeah. So, like, that that is a form of bullying. What is this game? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so look, I mean, we, we do think that there should, you know, cyberbullying in this stuff is a problem. Yes. It's, and um and and like you know, particularly when women go on TV and make a comment about anything, you know, whether they're sports reporters or political commentators and stuff like that, they do cop the most vile abuse and things yeah. like that. So it is an issue we have to deal with as a society. But it's the vagueness of this that I guess is a bit of a problem. Well, what? So speaking of that vagueness, can we go back to the first sentence? Reveal the extent of customer dissatisfaction. Okay. <laughs> like it's like like the government's going to make you as a company go, yeah, we're, we're kind of crap at it. <laughs> like, yeah. Our customers don't like us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would love to have kept that in house and talk to our marketing team about that but unfortunately it's now like i have to front a media camera and reveal it to everyone yeah we've we've now 84 of our customers 84 percent of our customers yeah. are dissatisfied with the service yeah, exactly. up from 33 percent last year so we're getting crapper but sorry um <laughs> yeah uh it is now in the interest of the public that jake from bendigo said this is lagging a little bit <laughs> i this is not a lie i know a jake from bendigo well that's the guy exactly the guy i brought up no it wasn't anyway um so there's been another story about uh, online, well, it's a bit of an online troll episode, to be honest, because Facebook have, of their own volition, I, I guess, uh, banned a fair few people from their platform. So this week, Facebook banned Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, Laura Luma, Paul Joseph Watson, Paul Nalen, Louis Farrakhan, and Infowars uh, from Facebook. Now, that's just not the official pages. That's also groups representing the users. And Facebook, you know, they've redone their algorithm to really help out groups. So that's a whole lot of different groups that get shut down. Uh and that also extends to Instagram. So that is a lot of people. Um, none of them friends of the show, and I doubt any of them will ever be friends of the show one day. Uh, definitely won't be. Definitely. Uh, so we're not having Alex Jones on? No, no. He keeps so trying. After I, that, yeah, after I listen to that Joe Rogan podcast, I'm not too sure. But anyway. Um, keeps messaging me. Though. Yeah. I, look, not our favorite people in the world, and Facebook are a private company, and they can do whatever the hell they want. Uh, but it's just not great that Facebook and go, these are the six people that get banned. Well, I don't, I mean, look, the Australian doesn't have to feature articles from 
Richard Natale, for example. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with them kicking these people off. Uh, what can get dangerous is Facebook and the government are working together, governments all around the world really, to create these regulations which are making it more difficult for new social media platforms, if you want let's say, to emerge. And then once that happens, um, them once the government is more in control of Facebook than they are now, then they're making decisions about who can go on and off is a problem. But at this point in time, I mean, I don't have a problem with them booting off people that anyone that they don't like, really. They're a private company. The thing is, like, Facebook, the Australian isn't exactly a perfect analogy because Facebook is, they've never seen themselves as a publisher. If they were a publisher, yeah, I get that. You don't have to have Alex Jones run an op-ed for your paper. But Facebook's always seen itself as, like, the soapbox in a town square. Like, anyone can get on the soapbox except for those six people. Well, So it's like, it's Facebook going from, hey, this is a place where everyone can have fun to okay, we're going to tell, like, the, these are the list of people that can have fun. And if it, it, it's definitely not going to stop with Alex Jones and Milo Yiannopoulos. Like, that's the one that everyone, you know, basically everyone can kind of get around. Even the most ardent supporters of free speech are like, yeah, I'm not going to miss that. But it's not going to end with them. Well, first of all, James, all my analogies are perfect. <laughs> Sorry, um, I forgot. <laughs> and second of all, maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will mean that they start just getting rid of anyone who's just conservative. Yeah, which is where I think it's going. I think, like, well, Louis Farrakhan is, you know, uh, basically the left-wing version of Alex Jones, I guess. And that's yeah. sort of like, hey, we're equal opportunity getting rid of. But I, I, I think it's going to be more conservatives from in the future. Maybe that's true. And I think we need to sort of encourage a diversity of social media platforms so that, um, so that it doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, so we've, we've got one more that we want to talk about. Um the, the the state of Victoria is about to cash in because the state of politics absolutely sucks. The great state of Victoria is about to get an absolute windfall. Yeah. So Victorians who failed to vote at the November state election are coughing up fines of more than $15 million with 190,000 infringement notices to be sent out this week. Uh, 250,000 people received apparent failure to vote notices, but 60,000 were let off for having a valid excuse. I wonder what those could be. <laughs> I didn't want to. And you guys stink. Yeah, not interested. Uh, and apparently, eighty-one bucks. It is a pop for not voting. Um, voter participation hit its lowest point in the past six state elections, with just over ninety percent of those registered casting their votes. The thing about compulsory voting is you really learn which members of your family are creeping totalitarianists. Yes, totalitarianisms, whatever it is. Because you know, I've had this debate many times, and a lot of them are just like, "No, we need voting. It makes people get educated and vote." Does it? It's like, no. What? Uh, I see how Trump got elected and I don't like Trump. That means we need compulsory voting. Yeah. Had everyone voted, Trump wouldn't have won. It's like, so you got an interesting, it's an interesting theory. You got an election result you didn't like. And that means we need to change democracy. I'm going to steal here from a friend of the show and friend of the IPA and host of uh, the Looking Forward podcast. So make sure you guys are all downloading that one. Uh, Dr. Chris Berg, democracy is all the sweeter when you can be liable for an administrative penalty for not participating. Yep. That's absolutely true. All right. uh, Now we have got a guest that's just come into uh, the studio. So we are going to wrap this up so we can interview her. So uh, here's what else the IPA said this week. Uh, So we have uh, Gideon Ronson put out a media release on Labor's new threat to freedom of speech. That's pretty important. Important. Uh, Labor are looking to beef up 18C and increase the funding towards the Australian Human Rights Commission. Oh, awesome. uh, so that's always what exactly the IPA wanted. Absolutely not, obviously. Uh, as Gideon says, 18C should be repealed and we don't need the AHRC at all. So go over to ipa.org.au and check that out. You can also read John Roscombe. He's talking about the six seats that are, wa- uh, that are basically forming the entire of the coalition's policies uh, and talking about how the coalition don't really care what's going to happen to the energy bills of people people in safe seats. All they care about is fighting climate change so they can win the marginal seats. You've also got Dr. Bella Debrera in the Daily Telegraph. We're going to be talking to her about that op-ed recently, so I'm not going to go over it too quickly. Uh, and a bunch of other things. Guys, thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast available on all good podcast apps, as is the IPA's Looking Forward podcast. Make sure you're downloading both. Make sure you subscribe to both. It's all free. It's all available on every podcast app. And if you are listening through Apple Podcasts or iTunes, make sure you're leaving us a five-star review. really helps us out with the ratings and really helps bringing new people to the show. Now, this is where I would cross to uh, Nina usually, but we are down to Nina this week, which uh, breaks me and Pete's hearts, but it's always good to be joined by Saul. Uh, Saul, don't worry. I am not going to make you do the membership pitch. Oh, uh, let's make him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Saul's our videographer. He's... Uh, 
Is there any videography pictures you want to make? No. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, for membership, make sure you go to ipa.org.au slash join if you like what the IPA does and you want to support it. Um, membership, is, there's like three different levels of membership. You get a whole bunch of fun things. Last week on the show, we were talking, about, talking to Scott Hargraves about the IPA review, which is a really fun thing that you can get as well. All right. So uh, that is it. Let us go to our interviews right now. Okay, we now welcome on to the show, Kirstie O'Sullivan. Uh, there's a lot of job titles I'm going to run through here. So we are uh, with the general manager of the admin office of the Liberal Democrat Party, the vice president of the national executive, and the number two Senate candidate in Victoria for the Liberal Democrat Party. So we're in prestigious company, Pete, right now. But yeah. anyway, Kirsty, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> I can barely do one job. You've got about four. <laughs> All right. So uh, – First off, so how are you uh, liking the campaign so far? So what what are you making of where everything's going at the moment? Yeah, well, it's actually been um, pretty interesting so far. A part of my role has also been to help coordinate the rest of the states as well. Uh, so I've been doing a fair bit of work that way and obviously getting out just some of the uh, just really basic sort of tactical stuff like the flyers and how to votes and banners and what have you. So I've kind of been... Um, doing a bit of everything. Uh, so it's been kind of interesting. And for us, um, as I was saying a little bit earlier, like we don't think that we'll possibly get another Senate candidate for Victoria. For us, a lot of it is about that kind of data collection and seeing what messaging is going to be working. So uh, in terms of actually out there campaigning, I'm getting a lot of people doing that for me and handing out flyers. Um, yeah, yeah, it's so far. yeah, I want to talk about the messaging thing because every election these days seems to come down to which party can throw more money at a problem. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. the Labor and Liberal, they're just in this like, but I'll spend $30 million. Mm-hmm. And that's like, no, we'll spend $50 million. Yes. Liberal Democratic Party never been a party that believes in throwing money at a problem until it goes away, mm-hmm. especially taxpayer money. And uh, so how do you guys compete with parties that just go around doing that? Yeah, well, obviously it's very hard to compete with Give me that free stuff. Um, I was actually in the Q&A audience last night for the Bill Shorten um, uh, take on uh, at Monash University. Oh, lucky you. Oh, it was fabulous. I thought I might die from excessive eye-rolling, but um, <laughs> somehow survived. There were some lovely little Adani protesters oh, outside, cool. so that was pretty amusing, um, telling us all that we're going to die. So yeah. that was great. Um, and and I, I just was just stunned by the amount, the whole time, the whole thing. He was like, we're going to give money to this. We're going to give money to that. We're going to give money to this. That was his whole thing. And everyone just wildly cheers because obviously people want free stuff. Yes. So it's it's very hard to compete with that. And the whole message of um, self-responsibility is, is a hard sell, unfortunately, because people are now so used to getting free stuff. And so hence why even the Liberal Party is doing much the same. It's all about, okay, they're going to give you this, but we'll give you that. Mm. A lot of our listeners are libertarians as well, and especially young people. And obviously this is the core challenge you come up with again and again and again, is to explain to ordinary Australians who aren't very political how it's actually better if the government doesn't spend money. So what if you could give advice to our listeners when they're at the barbecue or at the pub about what to say, what would, what would that be? Mm. Well, basically what we're sort of our messaging is a smaller government. So that way we're actually, rather than taking more tax from the taxpayers, uh, our messaging is if we're decreasing the size of the government and decreasing that waste of the government, there is more money to spend on obviously my roads and hospitals and schools and stuff like that without continually just throwing more and more and more of this random money, which is of course our money. Uh, throwing them at these things because clearly it's not working. It's not working in the education system. We've still got issues, obviously, in the in the Medicare system. So just throwing more money at things doesn't seem to be helping. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that's part of our big message. Obviously, is that smaller government. Do you find there's much cut through with it as well? Because surely people have to wake up to the point that yeah, the education system is so flawed, and every government just says, well the problem is not enough money and uh, people starting to realise maybe the problem isn't not enough money, it's just bad use of the money. Mm, I think I think it's now at that turning point where that is actually starting to change because people are starting, particularly with, say, for example, the universities, people are starting to see uh, that there is, I guess, a, a degradation on the skills that people are getting. We're looking at um, decreasing in our education standards as well. So people are seeing now it's at that turning point where people are thinking, maybe throwing more money at things isn't exactly working. Maybe there does need to be a change. And I think we're seeing that, in, you know, in commentary on social media a lot as well. I think, yeah, because I always find it, I can convince people that it's good to pay less tax, but it's harder to convince them that, like, the government being less involved in stuff is good. Um, but 
we must keep trying. We yes. must, we must. <laughs> so no one apart from the LDP have any libertarian policies mm. and, and obviously you're the libertarian party, but you'd think maybe there'd be a few others. Why do you think that is? And obviously that's disappointing. Yeah, I, I find it just hard to believe, to be honest. Um, I probably define myself more as a classical liberal. Um, I, I spent a lot of years with the Liberal Party myself and got rather disillusioned with them about three, four years ago. Um, I probably hung out a little bit longer than I yeah. had of, out of loyalty <laughs> yeah. for a little bit longer than I should have. And, and a lot of that is the fact that they, they you know, that the message with the major parties seems to be just flip-flop as to whatever, wherever the wind blows, whatever public opinion is, there's no, and, and we're quite happy to stand for things that maybe are not as popular because, you know, we have our beliefs and we think that in the long run, things will actually work out a lot better, you know, for for the community, for the society itself. Yeah, but in the immortal words of Scott Morrison, freedom of speech has never created one job. So what, mm-hmm. would, what would be your response <laughs> to that? Uh, it's, uh, it's not created a job, but it's certainly lost people their jobs. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's one thing about freedom of speech. Um, I, I, in terms of the freedom of speech aspect of it, I think... Uh, you know, I wouldn't entirely call myself a free speech absolutist. There are some things that I find quite uh, abhorrent. So obviously, you know, child paedophilia, that kind of stuff. So that that's very hard to be an absolutist in that area. However, I would rather, whether it be, um, you know, far-right speech or, or whatever speech, antifa speech, I'd rather those kind of things are out in the open so that we can debate them, debate those bad ideas, I think. And that's what we're finding as well, that kind of backlash on social media where... Uh, extremist groups on on all sides of the spectrum are growing because of the fact that free speech itself is being impaired everywhere. We're yeah. looking once again at Scott Morrison's new um, uh, new policy regarding social media and Fortnite gamers and stuff like that as well. Like Big Brother is watching you at all times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we were talking about that earlier in the show, actually. Um, the other thing I want to say is like the Greens used to have really cool stuff on data retention and mm. they would stick mm. up for these libertarian principles, but now they've mm. completely abandoned it as well. It's like we can't even, apart from they the LDP, totally there have. aren't even yeah. the minor parties that we yep. can really get around. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Australian Conservatives have some good ones as well, but like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I find that also really, really disappointing with the Greens and hence why they are failing around the countryside because people also, in general, I think Australians, we don't always like being told what to do. So when you have a, a party as well, and also you know they are still a minor party, uh, when you have also their policies, which is also restricting speech and restricting bad words and restricting people uh, from even television shows. Look at what they're saying about um, some of the Sky News presenters at the moment. Like it's it seems to be all about no, I don't like you. You shouldn't be allowed out in public, essentially. Mm. Right, let's get into some brass tacks. Is that brass tacks? Is what they say, isn't it? I, what, <laughs> I think it's brass tacks. I don't say it. I don't say that either. <laughs> My dad says it. Yeah. I think. Anyway, brass tacks. Doesn't know what Fortnite is, but doesn't know what brass tacks is. Just to recap, what we've learned this show about Pete. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Uh, so, let's get into some individual policies. We talk about nuclear power all the time here at the podcast. It's one of our favourite things. Um, you and I, sorry. So we're the, we believe there should be more nuclear power in Australia. The LDP, that's one of their policies. Mm, Why don't you definitely. tell us a little bit about the LDP nuclear policy? Ah, oh, well, basically, yeah, we, we believe that there should. it's one of the cleanest forms of energy for a starter, especially in terms of the waste that comes out of it. Once again, obviously, last night at this uh, Q&A forum, a lot of talk was about, you know, the climate emergency. That, just, that was just happening. Climate emergency, we're all going to die. Um, not one person mentioned nuclear energy. Yeah. Not one. Um However, they were talking about wind and solar. One of our um, our MPs, David Limbrick, actually is doing a lot of work in terms of the waste products from solar panels because that's now becoming a big thing now that the solar panels are getting older. They sort of have a lifespan of that 20 to 30 years and a lot of them are reaching that. There's no method of getting rid of those very toxic end products. So, you know, and also when you look at even the, the mining that has to go in towards making those products whether it be for wind energy or for solar energy um it's at the moment it's still very it's much more dangerous to the, to the planet than uh dirty old coal right now yeah it's crazy uh, allow it's me natural. to play devil's advocate on the nuclear energy though okay. because uh recently there was the nuclear problem in japan after a tsunami followed but sorry an earthquake followed then by a tsunami so how can you rule out that not happening yeah, sorry that 
both of those things yeah, happening yeah. in the rural South Australia. Yes. Well, there's a lot of things that go, went on with Fukushima. And uh, once again, I mentioned David Limbrick because his wife is from that area. And so he has family there. So he's actually done a lot of research about the area of Fukushima itself because obviously he was concerned about his family. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that went involved there on a fault line, old technology that hadn't been kept up. So there's a lot of things like that. And, you know, the technology has changed. And so if we have that kind of thing happening in Australia, where we do have the fantastic natural resources to actually go into that area, I think, you know, we wouldn't be having anywhere near the same problems anyway. Mm. I want to bring up a specific nuclear policy mm. that I know uh, Peter Gregory has, even on the show and on previous shows, brought up, and that is a nuclear power plant in every backpack in Australia. So <laughs> would that would that find its way to a... <laughs> Will you commit policy? to that? I, I like this left field thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knows? Down the, fu- down the track, you know. I, I'll put that on the list. I'll write yeah. that down. Let's put out the media list right yeah, now. Yeah, I'll, I'll write that down. All right, cool. Uh, let's move on to another area Pete and I want to talk about, yep. and that is vaping. So this is something that's really starting to take off. I know among yeah, my friendship yeah. group, a lot of people have made the transition yep. from smoking to vaping, uh, but they shouldn't have or in Australia because there's still mm. a lot of laws around it. That's so right. do we want to talk about the LDP's policy sure. around vaping? Obviously, we are very, very pro-vaping. Um, I don't smoke. I don't vape. I still think vaping looks a bit wanky, sure. <laughs> um but Creating water vapour from your mouth is just never going to be cool. <laughs> it's just never going to be cool. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I was out one night with a mate and he, because he had given up smoking and started vaping and he was getting the, the jitters and his vape was running low on battery and he plugged it into his laptop. And I'm Oof. like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> that... That's, that's the most hipster thing I've ever heard. It's pretty hipster. Were you it's, in the North Melbourne? We were kind of North Melbourne, i got to yeah. admit. Um, obviously, you know, we've been doing some work with the Australian Taxpayer Alliance in terms of the whole legalised vaping campaign. Uh, once again, our our member, um, David Limbrick, uh, did some work with them last week when they had the vape van down here uh, from the ATA. Uh, I, you know, at myself as a, um, as a non-smoker, I've certainly looked at a lot of the research in terms of the vaping and I'd, I'd much rather be around someone puffing out the smell of a pina colada than, uh, than cigarette fumes, that's for sure. So the, the laws around the vaping stores themselves are just absolutely outrageous. Um, you know, covering up everything, not allowed to have water, not allowed to have chairs, not allowed to show people how to use these things. And, and they're actually quite technical. Like I've had a look at some of them and some of them, some of them are very simple, but some of them are like, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And it, it's, you know, it'd be very difficult if you just walked into a store and didn't know what the hell to do with them. The fact that they can't show you how to use them is insane. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of research showing how much how much it actually helps people in terms of giving up smoking, how much better it is for their health, uh, how much cheaper it is. That's a really big one as well. I think they were looking at like the average smoker saving nine to $10,000 a year. And, and obviously, you know, most people who are smoking are in that lower socioeconomic uh, background. Saving 10 grand a year, that's a lot of money. That's yeah. food on their table. You know, that's their kids' new shoes many times over. But think of all the taxes the government would lose. Uh, exactly. Mm. The, the taxes are insane on it. And obviously uh, smokers die earlier. So yeah. That's also <laughs> the tax for longer. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. So they're not use, they're taxed for longer and they're not using all these benefits that we get because of the fact that they're paying so much tax for us. Is it also technically illegal to import all the stuff that goes in the vape, is that right? Yeah, so obviously um, here we can use... Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a few people here. that are in trouble now then. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah that's You can the do thing. it yourself, but like, you know, big tobacco oh, companies right, That's okay. exactly right. So um, the, the fact that they can't get... The nicotine capsules are illegal here in Australia, so a lot of people do actually get them off the black market or from New Zealand or other countries like New Zealand where they are legal, where that's legalised. So... Um, it just also shows that the government on, on both sides of um, left or right are not interested in actually smokers' health. It's all about the tax revenue for them. If they can keep people smoking rather than getting them on vaping, which I think is bizarre, and I know that a lot of the um, larger tobacco companies would also like to get on in on the action. Because they'd like to keep their they? customers alive They want to keep their longer. customers alive, yeah. exactly. So whether it be the e-cigarettes, whether it be the vaping, I think uh, I think it's insane that it's not uh, not legalised. So wanking but legal. Wanky but legal. 
<laughs> that's that's staying in. That is staying in, my friend. Yes, that is legal. Yeah. Do never make that. Yeah. I just say wanky, but the, <laughs> weird, the weird thing for me is like I get governments are going to lose. Like I get it from their perspective that they're going to lose tax pay, uh, like tax revenue. So I get that. But what I don't get is like the lobby group saying, "Oh, we can't have vape." Like the anti-smoking lobby group saying, "We can't have vaping," which to me just seems because that looks like I might mm. be oversimplifying this, mm. but it seems to be their thing is it kind of looks like a cigarette therefore i don't like it yeah there's some funny ones as well like there's some that look like a computer mouse there's there's some really lame looking I, ones first time i thought my friend was genuinely yes. smoking a usb yes like, i genuinely thought that was what it, was happening that's it. uh, it's funny i've seen some um some very very crazy articles by some from the anti-smoking lobbies um saying that this whole vaping thing is this right-wing conspiracy and they kind of forget that parties like reason are also very pro-vaping. So I don't know if reason are considered far right these days. Oh, uh, it's a matter of time. I wouldn't have thought so, but anyways. <laughs> might have updated since this interview started. We'll have true, to check true, Twitter. true. Everything's far right, yeah. yeah. It's always with the public health stuff, you've got to live an absolutely perfect life mm. health-wise. Yep. You can't be a bit healthier, yeah, which yeah, I think yeah. is where that comes yes. from. Anyway, so we've talked about a couple of issues. What are the main issues for the LDP at this election? Uh, for us here in Victoria in particular, as I said, um, a lot of it is really just we want to kind of do a bit of a uh, kind of a rebrand, I guess, after this election because we've gone through countrywide, we've gone through our Victorian state election. We've just had a very big New South Wales uh, state election, which um, obviously we lost uh, David Linehelm there. So that and that kind of dragged on for a few weeks and we were kind of in limbo there for a little while and, and now obviously this federal election. So it's all been pretty full on. Uh, for us, you know, there's going to be a real kind of regroup and kind of rebranding in this post-Linehelm era, I guess I like to say, um, where we want to just kind of get a lot more of our messages out there. And because we've found that people aren't uh, people aren't just even knowing who we are for a start. So something's going on where we're just, you know, a small section of our policies is getting out there, but not all of it. And it needs to be much more... Um, uh, accessible, I think, to a lot more people. So that that's going to be our big focus after this. And so certainly in Victoria here, we're using this election as a bit of a data analysis to see what messaging is working, whether it's the free speech, whether it's the lower taxes, whether it's legalising weed and vaping and what have you, the, the lifestyle sins, I suppose. So that's going to be a big thing for us. And then going forward from that, it's really the next one is next year is the WA election. One thing I do want to ask about the post-Lionhelm era is, are you guys going to find it harder to book media commitments once Lionhelm's cats are no longer a central part <laughs> of the um, media output? Because those things got into papers. They, they did. They, they did. There was a lot of very good, like, Dr. Evil poses yeah. stroking the cat. Um, I don't have any cats. Um, <laughs> David's got a rabbit. David Limbrick actually has a pet rabbit. It's pretty cute. Okay. We could, we could um, go around with that. Yeah, yep. it's called Timmy. It's adorable. So. Any, any dogs at all? Dogs do very well Ooh, on the internet well, these days. 13 yeah, out of 10 we would need some, We need some cute dogs. Um, I can find one. Okay, good. Yeah, all right. easily, well, easily. That's just my, yeah. that's just my free advice. Yeah, that's free easily, advice right there. Easily get a dog. Um, but let's talk about, so uh, you've talk, we've talked a fair few of the policies. Are there any major policies that you think are going to be able to cut through or maybe hopefully influence other parties to also get around? One of the things um, for me that I find really exciting is, and it's probably not, it's not a very sexy policy, I suppose, but it's the school vouchers mm. um, because I think that's something that none of the other parties are looking at. And the school vouchers is basically because of our school zoning, um, you know, wherever you live dictates where your child goes to school. And, and I had that issue with my son with primary school. We were in a zone of a school that was actually further away. It was actually four kilometres from our house and we weren't in the zone from a school that was one kilometre from our house, um, which was the school that we preferred as well. Cool. So there was a lot of rigmarole in terms of getting our child out of that zone and into the school that we wanted with the school voucher system, which is, I think, something that um, is a message, particularly obviously for mothers, but any sort of family. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a thing where you can actually choose where your child goes to school. And, and for me, I think that's a really important one and one that no one really knows about. Yeah, exactly. And when they do it in America, it works so well. Mm. Like mm. The, the 
what it does to schools when they bring it in in America is just yeah, awesome. Exactly. And exactly. It's just like, it why seems isn't this a so thing? simple? Yeah. <laughs> We're very. Oh, I'm a very big believer of the keep it simple principle, and this is the thing. Like, it, we don't need to sort of go down and break everything right down. Like, it's very, very simple principles that can cover a whole bunch of yeah. things. For people that are listening and they don't know what the school voucher system is, do you want to give like a brief explanation of it? Yeah, well, well, very, very basically, as I said, it's just like a voucher system where you will get to choose the school that you want to send your children to. Um, So even if you're not in that zone, if you decide that you want to go to a school that's 10 kilometres away and and you're prepared to to obviously take your child to that school because you think they've got a better music program or a better sports program, whatever your child is interested in, you get that choice. Parents get that choice. So rather than saying that the government says, okay, you live here, so you must go to this school, yeah. and that's it. Um, give parents the choice, yeah, exactly. which I think is super, super important. Because because this was a house that was on the market when you were looking, exactly. this is the exact art program that your exactly. child will be taught. You, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, these are the teachers you're going to have. This is the school principal. That's it. So yep. we like to uh, ask our guests, what's, what was your personal journey to becoming a liberal t- libertarian or a classical liberal, as you said? Mm. Um, what made you choose that as opposed to something else? Yeah, I think... Um, uh, I think genetically in my family, we don't like following rules. I blame my family for that, um, which is good and bad, uh, but we're all like that in my family. We hate, we hate rules. Um, not that we're anarchists at all, um, but uh, I don't like being told what to do. So I, my very first vote as an 18-year-old, like many 18-year-olds, was actually for the Greens. Ooh. But that was in the olden days when it was <laughs> like Bob Brown and they were about hugging trees and saving koalas. And yeah. that's what you do when you're 18. Um, then my, my family are actually like diehard Labor voters. My, you know, my grandfather's been a member. He's a life member of the Labor Party. Um, I have never once voted Labor. I've always voted for Liberal. As I said, I spent probably uh, 20 years voting Liberal and doing a lot of volunteer work with the Liberal Party throughout Queensland in particular. Um, I got very disillusioned with them. I found um, they had lost the meaning of the word Liberal um, and I found that uh, just quite disturbing. And as I said, I kind of um, hung out for a bit of loyalty for a little bit longer and then I just left. I did a protest vote, voted for the sex party when that was still called the sex party uh, because I liked some of their policies, definitely not all. Uh, way too much identity politics for me. Um, yeah. That first sex party election was just like, yeah. there were so many amazing was like, things he, 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 and so many sex party. terrible things. Yeah, <laughs> <That's right>. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, there, there was a lot of very terrible things. Um, so, you know, that was... Uh, that was the day I literally went to the ballot box. And for someone who's been interested in, in politics for, for most of my life, I went to the ballot box that day actually not knowing who I was going to vote for for the very first time in my life. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I've had my democracy sausage and went for the sex party. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah so then um, I, you know, I did a bunch, much more research and obviously, you know, Lionhelm gets himself in the news and what have you and uh, – yeah, I did a bit of reading about the Liberal Democrats and found out that they actually had been around for quite a while and I'd never heard of them before up until probably four years ago. Um, so I just watched for a little while and um, kind of did a bit more reading about what they were like and I loved it. And I'm really, really, really excited about the future of this party. I can really see our messaging is, is great. Our policies are great. We just have to get it out there so people can actually know who the hell we are. So that's been the bad part. And I think that's that's definitely been the problem um, with the party of libertarians. I, In my role, I describe it quite often as herding cats, like just trying to get people together. That's that whole libertarian way. None of us like Yeah, sometimes rules. literally with David yeah. Lionel's cats. Yeah. <laughs> literally cats. cats, yeah. <laughs> exactly. None of us like following rules. So it is very difficult to try and gather everyone up and actually do things. But um, I'm really, really excited about the future of the party. So um, hence why, for me, my job is basically 24-7. Yeah. And I love it. And it's amazing how common that story is among people I talk to, mm. which is I was a member of the Liberal Party yes. and then they just completely lost me over the yes. last five years. Yep. So you just think like Liberal Democrats and, you know, Australian Conservatives, these other parties yes. are going to cash in on exactly. that in the next couple of years. Exactly right. And our number one Senate candidate, Robert Kennedy, another one. He's another disillusioned Liberal Party uh, member. His family were large donors to the Liberal Party. Um and I actually went with a with uh, Robert to a Peter Costello luncheon a few weeks ago with the Centre for Independent Studies, and everything that Costello was saying was small government, lower taxes, and I'm like, yeah, why don't you guys do this now? Mm. And Robert and I got outed as ex-liberals, and <laughs> we had to explain ourselves, and <laughs> I was very happy to explain myself. I'm like, 
basically you guys suck now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that's yeah. I, I think um, yeah. Once we get that messaging out there, there's definitely a lot of ex Liberal Party in particular. There's a lot of people who are really disillusioned with the major parties in general. Absolutely. All right, uh, Kirsty O'Sullivan. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, guys. Okay, we're now welcome back onto the show, the director of the IPA's Foundations of Western Civilization program, one of the podcast's very best friends in the entire world, Dr. Bella DeBrera. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's been about six weeks, actually. Yeah, this is a new record for the longest amount of time since Bella's been on the show. So have you missed us would be our first question. Oh, massively. Uh, we yeah. missed you too. We missed you too. Thank you. All right. Um, let's get straight into it. So uh, the National Tertiary Education Union are going to the Supreme Court of New South Wales with a staff member from the University of Wollongong. What's happening? So this is the um, never-ending Ramsey Centre for Western Civilization saga that mm-hmm. is like an Icelandic saga that just goes on and on and on with no ending. Yeah. Um, they. I was going to go Moses in the desert well, as an analogy. that sort of had an ending, didn't yeah. it? 40 so days 40, yeah. Well, 40 years? <laughs> 40 years, so yeah, 400 yeah. years. I think we're getting years. there. Yeah, we're getting to that territory. It's getting to so that yeah. point. Poor Ramsey. Um, so they are so determined not to have this course on campus that they're using the excuse that um, it was rushed through and it was illegal to actually come to an agreement that they'd have the Ramsey course. So they're taking they're taking the university to court. Mm-hmm. So the University of Wollongong signed up for Ramsey and yes. now the NTEU, yeah, they're, they're caught, saying, they're caught wind. They've realised they've realised that this is this is like the last ditch attempt to stop anything being taught that is right. remotely connected to Western civilization on campus. They just do not want the BA. Yeah. So you had a piece in the Daily Telegraph, am I right, about yes, this? Yes, last week. And you wrote, my, my favourite bit from that piece was, Western civilization could be like offering students a choice between a sumptuous buffet or a bowl of gruel. Well, the gruel is, is very Dickensian. But mm-hmm. so, but anyway, my mind immediately went to Oliver Twist. It was like, very Oliver Twist. It was very Oliver Twist. Yeah. I mean, who wants gruel? You want, you want a buffet. Oliver you Twist want, wants gruel. You want oysters. You want the prawns. You want to go into the, you know, six choices of main course. And then you want all the desserts. And you want the chocolate fountain. You want the, the marshmallow chocolate fountain. I haven't eaten today. Can we get off this? You don't want a bowl of gruel. I mean, what, what are you going to choose? So, so essentially, I'm saying they can have identity politics, which is so bland and boring, and that's all they're getting every time, every day, three years, same old stuff. Or do you want this just incredibly rich um, variety of works that we have at our disposal, and they're they're actually depriving the students of this of this um, of the canon of Western civilization? It makes me really cross. Yeah, that was the thing that we talked about with Mark Bowline on the show recently, which was identity politics is always negative. It's always coming yeah. from a place of uh, you know jealousy and resentment. And then you can switch it and you can just go, why don't we embrace these works and we can talk about all the conditions of humanity, which they discover, like, you know, love and yeah, emotion yeah. and stuff like that. You're not going to get that in a bottle of gruel. No. And the, the other thing is, it's just um, what kind of people are coming out at the other end um, after three years of such negativity and blandness and, and sort of they're, they're, they'll be seething masses of resentment of the world. So they're not even producing nice human beings. They're producing very... Um, Probably not very nice people. You probably wouldn't want to go for a drink with them at the end of that three years of undergraduate. Um, whereas someone who, who does a, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be nicer people, but they're going to be better rounded. They're going to be better company. They're going to know stuff. They're going to have an idea about the world. So is the source of this grievance that perhaps they deep down know that they won't be able to compete with a course like that? There's, well, there's two things. The first is that they genuinely hate the Western canon. Mm-hmm. Um, they resent... The fact that, um, well, they hate the Western canon because it represents Western civilization, and for them, Western civilization is racist um, because they have it as their end goal: social justice. And their idea of social justice is, is the great equalizing of society. And you can't have something like Western civilization if, in their minds, it's racist because it's obviously oppressing minorities. So you have to get rid of it altogether. So, um, so they hate it because they generally believe that it's actually oppressing people. And they also hate it because they know deep down, I'm sure, that if it does appear on campus, they their very bland identity politics will be the, the, the students will go somewhere else. They won't go. They won't go to the role of gruel. They go to the buffet. So it's a it's a double thing, I think. So <coughs> what is next for the Ramsey Centre? Is there any other universities that have aired that they might? Be um, a part well, of it? the University of Queensland Queensland is supposedly <laughs> taking. <laughs> So I always say Queensland, but everyone teases me. People tease me. For it is a very teasable thing. Um, other people say Queensland as well. It's not just me. I've heard mm, it recently. They? Yep, do they, they do. Mm. Yep. Mm. Um, 
the anyway now but what was i saying yes so the ramsey want to stop it being taught there as well right. even though they've come up with i think they've had some kind of agreement um but it's not going anywhere so they're doing the 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 you know they're doing their best to stop it being taught anywhere so i don't know if it's going to get off the ground the other side of this bella of course is that the ramsey senate means more jobs for academics doesn't it so wouldn't that mean that the nteu should be welcoming it because it's better for their members. Yeah, but that be, they'd be bad <laughs> academics. They don't want to give those people jobs because they're teaching Western civilization. Yeah. So they're not really interested in, in the well-being of, of um, academics if they're teaching the wrong thing. Yeah. So if you want to read more about Bella's talking about the latest with the Ramsey uh, Centre, then that is available on ipa.org.au, as is every other op-ed that Bella's done about the Ramsey Centre. It's a long, ongoing case. Very much a Moses in the desert, and I'm sure this isn't going to be the last time Bella's going to be talking about it in a public setting. So uh, we'll you know, have you back on for the next time. So what else is Bella working on at the moment? I know you are, have got a, another podcast interview coming mm. up, and frankly, we feel a bit betrayed. Mm. Well, you should. Really? Because I'm betraying you. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I'm going to London and I'm going to be on the Delling Poll podcast. It's not as much of a betrayal when Delling you say, Pod. I'm betraying you. It's just like, <laughs> mm, this is odd. <laughs> At least a lot more secretive than that. Um, so you're going on I've the Delling Poll podcast. Making, yeah, I'm going on the Delling Poll podcast. It's, called, it's now called Delling Pod. A Delling Pod. Yeah. Just um, think? I think I'm going to have to catch uh, a train to Oxfordshire to... to, to um, to see him, which mm-hmm. is exciting. But you'll be in England already. Yeah. I'm not, not catching a, a train from trains. Melbourne to Oxfordshire. Yeah, it's a, it's a long train ride. It's Bring a, a very long one. Yeah. So you're going to be in England. Yes. Another betrayal. Yes. <laughs> how are you going to come on the Young IPA <laughs> yeah. podcast whenever we need you? You just phone in. Oh. Okay. Actually, we should do one from when I'm there. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, so cool. what will take you to England? Um, an aeroplane. Um, no. <laughs> Leave the comedy to me. But... Um, <laughs> Is it like a work trip or? It's a work trip. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm going to work on a monograph. Oh, okay. Can we get a teaser of what the monograph's about? Um, <laughs> no. Damn. No, no, not yet. Right. Not yet. But I, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll explain what I'm in that when I'm there. Oh, okay. But so I'm going that's, to a, that's a teaser for the next interview. Next time you see yep. Bella in the podcast description, there's going to be some serious monograph chat. I'm going to be um, very deeply f- ensconced in the British Library. A favourite kind of chat. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So there's also that to look forward to. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about in this wrap up of what Bella thinks about the world this week. Uh, Bella, you saw a bunch of child activists in the street last week and you've got a few opinions. Yes. So it it, it, it just, you know, what kind of a world have we got into now? What, what kind of a state of world are we where a child with a backpack that has a Sesame Street character on it? Elmo mm. is threatening the Prime Minister with death. Had it been Big Bird, this would all be different. No, Big Bird would be okay, or, or Oscar the Grouch. But yes. Elmo on a backpack, and the kid's basically saying he wants to see the Prime Minister dead. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Elmo that, or the kid? They're not the Elmo. Elmo is much more loving than that. That seems a gross mischaracterization of what Elmo stands for. How terrifying is that, though, that you've got children threatening threatening death over something they don't even understand? The, the, this kid must be like six or seven. I mean, I, how old are you to wear an Elmo backpack? I'm guessing not. Oh, not that's very not old. judge. I've, I've seen some adults. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, so that that made me really worried, and it just it, it worries me that that this is they're getting it from the teachers and they're getting it from the parents. So it's the adults' responsibility, and they're creating this terrible generation of of children who. Who are threatening death? Yeah, because that's always they're going to die in twelve years' time. Yeah, that's the way. It's like there's not children coming to these organically. It's adults enforcing them on kids. Yeah, and they're then not working the kid up to a frenzy. Yeah, the seven-year-olds aren't, aren't, aren't having meetings discussing climate change. No, it's it's <laughs> they're not going around to each other's houses to, to talk about how they've got twelve more years to yeah, live. Yeah, exactly. They're all talking about Elmo. Yeah, and the fact that they chose another day, like when yeah. we had a strike a few yeah. weeks ago, sort of suggests that maybe it is about getting out of school. Yes, and you know, the more strikes they have, the less powerful the message is becoming as well. Because if it's a once a weekly strike, you know, who's yeah. going to stop? It's like the vegetarian. Like, it's like the vegans, cha- you know, gluing themselves to stuff. <laughs> if they keep doing that, no one's going to take any notice. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, this all comes back to the Greta Thunberg thing, which has been mm. in the news recently. Mm. Um, so, for people that don't know, she's sort of uh, the first child to stop going to school because of climate change. She's Scandinavian. I can't remember which one, um, but. <laughs> She's Scandinavian at the very least, and she's being Mm. used by adults all around the world for this exact thing. And, you know, she's she's another child who's being used by, like, as a puppet by all these adults. Yeah. As if, you know, because, like, once a kid makes a political point these days, it becomes the most sentient, beautiful it's thought. just, I know, and they're all fawning over her and, and you know, cl- clamouring for meetings and things. She's a, she's a child. Yeah. I really wish I'd have thought of that when I was at school. 
I'm just not going back to school until this political issue that's <laughs> never going to change. Yep. Why didn't changes. you think of that? I, I would have been a world-famous celebrity by this point. Yeah. Instead so, of stuck here with us. You know, all credit to her. Yeah. All right, uh, cool. Sorry, Bella. Uh, we've got the article in the Daily Telegraph. We have got a monograph coming up, complete, shrouded in secrecy, yes. but we will eventually talk about it with you. All right, Bella, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks. A delight as always. See you, Bella. Okay, thank you too, Kirsty O'Sullivan and Dr. Bella DeBerra for those interviews. Really great stuff. All right, uh, let's fly through some stuff that have made us laugh this week. Sorry to keep pounding the table. It's an aggressive one. Whole it's an aggressive thing. energy to bring it to the funny part of the show. It is. Um, but I'm an aggressive guy. Sorry. Uh, let us get into the uh, first story that I want to tee off with, Pete. Mm. Uh, this might be my favourite ever campaign policy promise. Well, now cool, but we talked to Kirsty earlier in the show and we were talking about how, uh, you know, the Libertarian Party uh, doesn't go in for the whole let's throw money at a problem and all the other parties do. And uh, I thought I was also against the let's throw money at a problem until I saw this. So in her first major policy proposal of the 2020 presidential election, Senator Kirsten Gellibrand, she's running for the Democratic nomination. I'm going to assume that with her polling that she is not going to get it. I think it is hovering around the zero mark. She's a bit of a long shot. She's a bit of a long shot. Outside chance. You never know. It's a long race. Uh, anyway, so she wanted to make a splash with her first presidential campaign uh, policy platform. So she has gone for suggesting that every voter be given $600 to donate to federal election campaigns. Does the campaign... Every- yeah, you go. <laughs> Does the campaign include if you're not going to vote? What, do you, what happens then? Uh, I, don't, I don't think you get it. Do you get to keep it? Uh, no. But anyway... <laughs> then I'm against this policy. Yeah. Every voter gets $600. Yeah. To donate to a political party candidate. Just like that's the biggest asterisk in the world. Yeah. It's like, I have to give this to a politician? Yeah, yeah. What? Everyone's like so pumped for a second and then realise, oh, oh, this sucks. Uh, so anyway, so she wants to attack the corrupting influence of money uh, uh, in politics. So mm-hmm. that's basically the idea. If you give everyone money to donate to a potential candidate, it's going to stop billionaires yeah. somehow. Let's give everyone the same amount of money. Yep. Uh, so, oh no, so all eligible voters will qualify for the lump sum, which will then be doled out in $200 payments for each individual's house, Senate and presidential candidate of choice. Mm-hmm. So this will lead to, uh, you know, we had a lot of people run for the Republican nomination in the f- when Trump won, and we've got a whole lot of people running for the Democratic one, which means if Kirsten Gillibrand does get president, mm-hmm. every single US citizen will run for president because <laughs> then they can just donate to themselves. Yeah. That's how you keep the money. That's, I mean, that's 350 million people running for president. That's a very crowded ticket, yeah. and people will have to pick out who they like out of yeah. all of and that. Each of them will have $200 each. I like, yeah. yeah. I like that she's called it democracy dollars. Yeah. I think that's a democracy handy dollars. name. Well, democracy sausage works in the US, so you just put democracy in front of something and it does seem a little bit better. This That's crazy to think that that would actually make any difference. Yeah. I also like it if you're in a family, uh, this is how you keep the $600. You just go, all right, I'll run for president, mm-hmm. you run for the House of Representatives, and the dog runs for the Senate. And that way we can keep the $600 and yeah. we just donate it to Let's ourselves. Let's keep this in-house. I, the Gregory family party. <laughs> to be honest, I'd vote for a dog. <laughs> Why not? Why not? 13 they're, out of 10 would vote. They're, um, their lineup's very wacky, Yeah, the Democrats. Yes, uh, there's a whole lot of uh, interesting people. Yeah, I mean, that's, she's off it. I just don't understand. So, what is she? Is that sort of 20 candidates or whatever? 22, I think. 22. So, she's in the top two, top 22 Democrats in America. And this gets up. (laughs) This This is is a policy that gets up. And and the other funny thing about this was that it said in this this piece that we read about it in her first major policy proposal, this is her first thing out of anything. Yeah. What do I like? I like, hmm, what do I like? I'd like more money for my campaign. Socialism is what I like. So keep an eye on that one. Keep an eye on that one. All right, uh, let's move on to another one, Pete. What what have you seen? Well, I was just, one more point on that. People said Trump wasn't going to get elected. Well. So maybe she will come come flying through to the top. Trump was polling bigger than zero at this point. Bigger than zero, that's true. um, You know, remains to be seen. Not ruling it out, not ruling it in. This is... Polster bolt. Okay. <laughs> Look at um, the numbers. Yeah. The calculations. Crunching numbers. Yeah. You're just a big data man. Oh, big data. Okay. So let's move on to the next thing. Uh, New York food police shut down a seven-year-old's lemonade stand. We've done a few of these stories over the years. It does yeah. happen from time to time. There's a bill being put forward that makes sure they can't do it again in the state of uh, New York. So a seven-year-old boy in upstate New York made headlines after health officials shut down his lemonade stand last summer uh, in what happened was he was give, selling lemonade for 75 cents and there was a food 
food fair nearby that was flocking lemonade for a bit of a markup. It's seven dollars a cup. Mm. Uh, they complained to health authorities because obviously he was, you know, stealing a little bit of their market with his cheap prices. I would say a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. You're not uh, you're not doing your research if you're paying seven bucks. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. And he got shut down, which made a big, st- which made a bit of a splash as it does. Anyway, there's a new bill being put forward. By oh, just before we get to that, I do mm. like the idea of the food vendors chart. Like they're going, why isn't anyone buying my seven dollar lemonade? Mm. And they see the kid and they go, this is his fault. Mm. Like the state needs to intervene right now. Yeah, this is a problem that can't go unfixed. Yeah, exactly right. And they said he was wasn't adhering to health regulations, which he probably wasn't. But um, he's also know. seven years old. That's right. And, and if you just, you just take your chances when you buy a seven year old's lemonade. Well, you get what you paid for, don't yeah, you? Like seventy five cents. cents. I'll take the risk. That's right. So anyway, Senator Jim Tedesco. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, in New York. Well, he's an ardent listener, so I hope we did pronounce that. Yep. Introduced legislation exempting child-operated lemonade stands, which is quite specific, from state health regulations. And he said a lemonade stand... Oh, sorry, sorry. The, the, the latest version of the bill says a lemonade stand operated by a person under the age of 16 years shall not be considered to be a temporary food establishment. So that's very specific. Yes. Well, it, incremental steps. And, you know, we're not a huge fan of, uh, like... I don't think the government should get involved in what a seven-year-old's lemonade stand should be or, mm. if, you know, up to 16 years old. But this seems to be all right. If they're protecting it, okay. That's good, yeah. yeah. It's a step in the right direction. And, and it does just seem to be quite iconic, the lemonade stand. Like, it's quite a cultural thing, you know. The, You know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah we all <laughs> the play listeners lemonade. know what I'm saying. Yeah, we played lemonade stand as a kid. Yeah. We know the game. I, um, I once sold breakfast to my parents. Oh. With their food. Like, okay. I made breakfast out of the food that was in the fridge and sold it to my parents. Yeah. No, I remember you texted me two weeks ago about it. <laughs> You're like, check me, check this out. It's a really good plan. <laughs> it's an absolute ruse. Bit of a markup. All right, uh, I've got another one. So speaking of Democratic presidential candidates, oh. so Joe Biden is leading at the moment. And uh, this, like, we've gone through Kirsten Jellybrand having my favourite policy. This is my favourite excuse of all time. So mm. Joe Biden uh, has this big new healthcare policy and uh, it hasn't released the costings yet. Mm-hmm. Much like Bill Shorten, just going like, we're not releasing the costings. Yeah. But Joe Biden even was more explicit about it. He just said, I don't have time. I he, was asked, he was asked about what's the cost. He's like, nah, don't have time. Got to move on. I can understand that. <laughs> we're all busy Who's among us? <laughs> yeah. Has never been too busy to explain. Uh, it's been too busy to explain things. Yeah, and at least he wasn't, you know, like Bill Shorten said, I don't know. Yeah. At least he's sort of hiding the fact that, yeah. you know, I mean, who knows how much this is going to cost. He wants to finish the job of Obamacare by yeah. creating the ability for Americans to buy into Medicare. Um, That's a lot to explain. I mean, who could who could possibly work out how much yeah. it's going to cost? And there's hair to sniff over there, man. I've got I've got time. I don't have time yeah. to sit here with you and explain costings. This is, in a funny way... I am in a rush. Yeah. In a funny way, this is actually how he might be a little bit popular. Yeah. Because he's a bit of a chump. <laughs> and people like chumps. I mean, you know. Yeah, like, uh, we've all seen the video of him, like... What was it? Uh, he's at a speech and he's honouring a person that lost both of their legs in a war <sighs> and he wants the crowd to acknowledge him. So he's like, stand up, sir. Oh, no. <laughs> Joe. Come on, Joe. You know, we've all, said, we've yeah. all had a foot in our mouth before and, and the ones where he, uh, I think it was I think it was Obamacare when they signed Obamacare or something and he, he said to Obama, he sort of whispered in his ear, this is effing big. Yeah, and everyone which was, it was. <laughs> yeah. and, and like everyone heard it on the microphone. Yeah, yeah. Hot mic, Joe. Hot mic. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah but I just joke. like, you can't really have a go at Trump for avoiding key issues when you literally say, I don't have time to explain costings. Yeah, it was, he needs to work on that. Yeah, yeah. So You can, uh, imagine, you can imagine this. Well, I, I would like him to keep doing that because it's funny when he does it, yeah. but just it does take this thing out of the next anti-Trump speech for yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, Trump would definitely have a bit of fun with something like that. But I, I think this should be a theme of his Have we got a nickname for Joe Biden yet from Trump? Don't know. He's, he tweeted be, about him. I know it's Sleepy. I think Sleepy was seen, but we need like, uh, you know, Lil Marco Rubio mm. or uh, Lion Ted Cruz and stuff like that. I reckon there's going to be a good one for Joe coming up. It will certainly be a feature of their race. The Democrat race is a hot sub. Yep. The nicknames that Trump gives him. Yes. Wear them as a badge of honour. That's right. All right, because uh, if he doesn't give you a nickname, you're nothing. That's you're nothing right. In, yeah. What, was it Punchy De Niro? That made Robert De Niro for me. Yeah. Once he was punchy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that made it for me. All right. Uh, let us move on to... All right. So I got another one here, Pete. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one thing that's starting to happen in Melbourne a fair bit recently is this, uh, like, the boozy brunch. And mm-hmm. for, you know, for two hours, you can drink unlimited 
uh, for a certain amount of money. And, mm. you know, there's responsible serving of alcohol and stuff like that. So if you are absolutely plastered at 10.30 in the morning, I doubt you're going to be getting another mimosa. Yeah. Um, unless you're... <laughs> Wait, no. What was she drinking on the train? Diane Abbott? Was it oh, a mimosa? it was... Um, uh, no, it was like a really nice bottle of champagne. No, nah, it was a can... No, it was, it was the was opposite. It? it was like a can of pre-mixed cocktail, which oh, I think right. it was a mojito. Mojito, that's it. So unless you're on a train and also high up in the Labor Party, they won't give you that extra mojito. Um, now, uh, so this would seem a very fun thing, mm-hmm. which is exactly why people are trying to make sure it doesn't happen. That's right. So Victorian regulating body, uh, the Victorian Commission for Gambling and Liquor Regulation, or the VCGLR for the rest of this segment. Fun police. Um, fun police, maybe. Let's just call them fun police. I think that's the most, uh, like, yeah. Gambling and liquor, yeah, the fun police. Uh, now, they have said uh, they are going to take action against any promotion that can never negatively impact responsible drinking, which is uh, basically these bottomless brunches things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad because that seems like fun. Yeah. Yeah. It As is someone a- who has gone day drinking, it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is so good. I think, look. So it, much better than night drinking. It is, yeah, because you're happier because the sun's out. Yes. I, um, you feel like God at four in the afternoon when you've had a few. I mean, I wouldn't say I feel like God. But, you know, <laughs> well, you haven't lived. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe, so, I, I mean, I'm always, always critical of contemporary culture. Yeah. But I really like this as a thing. Yeah. But it's just emerged in the last few couple of years, let's say. Yes. The bottomless brunch. Yeah. Like that, I've, that's a big tick. That is Peter Gregory. That is Peter Gregory's biggest ever tick. Yeah, I mean, that's great. So, so I think we just invite the fun police or the VCGLR to a day drinking session. Get Let them, them know what it's about. Yeah. Let them feel like God. <laughs> and then... <laughs> it's a bit weird. Yeah. And then hopefully they see the light. Well, yeah. If, if they're God, maybe they will see the light. Yes. But that is... Um, yeah, it just sort of looks like... Who knows what's coming with those? Like they'll become more expensive or they'll become... You know, or just not a thing. Or more rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go, but you can only have two. That's not bottomless. That's absolutely not That's bottomless. Not That's bottomless. a very firm bottom. Uh, anyway. I also like this. So the commission last month published a series of tips for venues that had these bottomless brunches, including offering water and ensuring enough food was also served during the boozy brunches. It's mm. like, yeah, I know how to run a, <laughs> I know how to run a restaurant. <laughs> Give you I know how to serve alcohol. That water thing is such a furphy. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've had 14 mimosas. If I just have a glass of water, I'll I'm be fine. fine. I'm fine. But also just like... Like this whole thing of like, yeah, <laughs> I you. also don't want someone off their face at yeah, 10.30 yeah. in the morning going over to a couple and having a very nice breakfast and telling them what's what. Yeah. No, I don't want that either. That's right. It's in the market's interest for people to not be too hosed. All right. Uh, of, in a way. Um, all right. Uh, that is it for the show this week. Thanks again to Kirsty O'Sullivan and Dr. Bella DeBerra. Um, make sure you're going to ipa.org.au and reading all of our great stuff. And if you do like to, if you want to support all of our work and make sure... Uh, that we can keep doing it. Make sure you're signing up as a member or if you are already a member that you are donating, just go to ipa.org.au slash join and all the options are there for you. If you like this podcast, make sure you've subscribed on any platform for app that you use. If you are listening through our website, great, but you know, it's easier for you and better for us if you do make us part of your feed on Apple Podcasts or any of the other ones, mm-hmm. uh, as is the case for the Looking Forward podcast. Uh, so make sure you're also downloading and subscribing to that. If you ever thought that you just wish Pete and I would just take things a bit more seriously, then Looking Forward is the podcast for you. Um, yeah, they've got a show coming up tomorrow, which is going to be a lot of fun with uh, noted friends of this show, Andrew Bushnell and Morgan Begg. So looking forward to that. Um, that is it. So you guys, any any final thoughts? Uh, membership? Yeah, I, I said the membership thing. Did you? Yep. Really? Yep. Go back and listen. <clears throat> After that we're done, did go he? back and listen. He did? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, see? It's all. Yeah. Finally. I'm, I'm, maybe I'll make first thing he said. First thing he said in over an hour, and <laughs> it's uh, supporting me and against Pete. So it's all, you're welcome back anytime. It's all, just be quiet, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right, see you guys next week. See ya. Yeah,